0: Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 223. Today is Sunday the 12th of February 2017, and this interview is with Mike Baxter, who's a fascinating chap. He's an author, a psychologist, and a data scientist with chartered designer status. He's also a renowned expert on digital transformation, practicing as a consultant for over 15 years, and as a trainer with eConsultancy. He's also an advisor to tech startups the last 10 years. In any digital transformation process, getting organizational alignment, is always a major challenge. Mike's new initiative, Goal Atlas, sets about helping solve that problem. In this podcast we discuss the state of the state of digital transformation, find out some keen insights about how organizations can accelerate their digital transformation program and the craft of great goal setting and achievement. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, I have someone I met through our, my life at eConsultancy. So, Mike Baxter, tell us who you are and what's your mindset. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much.
1: So, let's start with the mindset and we'll come back to who I am in just a moment. So, I started off life as a scientist. And I think probably because of that, I have a pretty passionate belief that there is a truth about most things. Um, And I think through that, what I've done in the past is I have been a scientist, I've been a product designer, I've been a consultant, I've been an academic. And in most of that, there is, I think, a kind of common thread of trying to find the right answer to things, underneath which there is the belief that there is a right answer to be found. How are we doing so far?
0: I love that. I love the idea of finding, finding a truth. So in your in your background, Mike, you've also done a lot of coding, right? And how has that helped you in your, in your seeking of the truth? So I think the interesting thing about
1: lots of digital technologies is they give a rather
0: fascinating
1: and distinctive lens on the world. Um, and I think that there are some wonderful things that have been introduced by digital technology, such as Wikipedia, for example, that is not renowned as being a paragon of the truth in all regards, but by goodness, it's pretty good. Um, and it has so much information, so readily available. So I'm much more of an evangelist for coding than I am a coder, but I really do believe that there are there is a simplicity and there is an elegance to the way in which digital technologies can present truths or a truth to people that makes it very accessible, very immediate, and also very present in a, I can be at my desk doing something, and I don't have to get up, drive to the university library, or to the public library, or go online and do a dialogue search. You maybe remember them many moons ago. You know, I don't have to leave my desk anymore. Most of what I need can be at my desk and I can access in order to do my job and in my views on the most recent work that I've been doing, looking at digital transformation of organisations, it's about how you can bring the immediacy of information, data, insight, knowledge, wisdom, expertise right to the workplace and enable people to be better at what they do without actually leaving the desk.
0: All right, so Mike, tell us a little bit about your life um, at eConsultancy and a little bit of the background you have in this digital transformation process.
1: Sure. So I guess I kind of fell into the digital transformation process rather than elected to go into it. So my work prior to the stuff I've been doing in digital transformation was a lot to do with data because my background as a scientist was a lot to do with crunching big chunks of data Um, So I came into the world of digital marketing uh, or digital business through largely a data focus, and I'm a psychologist, so largely through a customer experience focus. So I was looking at data and how you could use data to improve customer experience. And it doesn't take a big leap of the imagination to land me in digital transformation from there because a lot of digital transformation projects in big brands are to do with using data to make customer experience better. So I was probably doing digital transformation before it was called digital transformation.
0: Mike, you and I share a a number of things in this regard, but it just strikes me that saying you're a psychologist and someone who's into data, let's call us data scientists, these are two rather distinct uh, types of activities. To what extent do you think that we actually need a lot more crossover type of personalities in management or... Should we still be having specific, strong expertises, singular expertises?
1: So I think I have got huge faith in human nature. And I think that our educational system, I've got two teenage kids right now coming out the end of it. Fortunately, they have survived. Um, But they, I think, push people into silos that are pretty unnatural. You know, my kids, when they were five years old, would never have even understood the question, are you mostly a historian or are you an artist or are you a mathematician? You know, they were all of them. And I think we are all all of them. But education forces us into the tradition of silos and disciplines. Labels. Labels. And I have much greater faith that new education, new information, new availability of knowledge, Um, I can become a so-called expert in all sorts of arcane disciplines because I can jump onto the internet and find a course probably taught by Harvard in one of them. So I don't actually have a great deal of belief in the fact that we are creatures of narrow disciplines. I think we are creatures, multidisciplinary creatures that have by tradition, by education and by workplace habits yep. been forced into silos. And I think there's a huge amount of railing against that. I think a lot of the stuff we characterize as what's all, what are all these millennials doing? I mm-hmm. think they're rebelling against the fact that they don't want to be pushed into the boxes that you and I were pushed into when we were
0: their age. Get you. All right, so, Mike, well, a lot of in digital... There's a lot that can go in already into the word digital. In new tech, what are the things that excite you these days? I mean, there seems to be so many things, but what are the ones that you would pull out to be the, the cool sure. things?
1: So I think in terms of big picture, um, one of the things that excites me most is that we have got a million makers on this planet now. And the opportunity... So what
0: do you mean by makers? We understand
1: it? Oh, There are actual makers, there are people who are applying contemporary technologies to making physical objects, but I'm much more interested in the creation of value, the creation of value for business and also outside of business in charities and the like. Um, So I think that the opportunity that digital technology opens up is the ability to add value in ways that are not completely bound up in the traditional architectures of big global corporations. And that opens up the possibility that you and I can think about what are we going to do ourselves that might actually generate some value for others and for ourselves, hopefully. And I think that's the big excitement for me, that we can actually start thinking about, I have an idea, I'm going to build something, I'm going to try and launch it, And the startup culture, I think, is wonderful. And being in a place like London, it's a great center for startups. And there's a huge buzz. There's a huge community. We're sitting in a hot-desking space where there are some fascinating people doing some wonderful things, completely unrelated to what I'm doing, but nonetheless hugely stimulating.
0: I want to dig into something I haven't heard before, Mike, with this idea of the maker. What do you see in the makers and the maker movement? It's true that... Generally speaking, when we talk about makers from the maker movement, it's typically about entrepreneurs maybe associated with universities using 3D printers and doing all sorts of wild things. But it seems that there's there's not a lot of space for that in the corporate world. Do you see corporations actually trying to take that on board, or is it still light years away? So
1: I think that the whole notion of craft making... It's just really been opened up as a subject for study, so I was a product designer for a period of time, and we didn't really look to deconstruct how craftspeople made. And effectively, what they are doing is they're doing lots and lots of making by successive approximations. So they don't do a whole Period of planning, design it down to the nth degree, they get out the tools and they start chipping away.
0: Yeah. Then and they figure
1: it's a mistake. And they figure it's a mistake and they improve it. Now I think we move that into the knowledge economy and I think we get a startup movement because what we've got is a whole bunch of people getting out their digital tools and starting to chip away at a problem. And I know from the work that I've been doing both in my own startup and in other people's startups that we make a lot of mistakes, but that's fine. Mm because we don't break the bank in doing so anymore. We can build a prototype in four hours, we can put it in front of a customer the next hour and we've realised we've screwed up by the end of the day. That is an amazing, innovative factory that we're starting to produce. So makers for me are not makers of things they are the makers of ideas as well and that's to be honest where i think there's more excitement to be had
0: yeah that's certainly of course that includes designers so in terms of digital transformation you have worked uh, with so many companies in dt we call it not drinking tremors in in digital transformation what where where do we stand i mean is everybody on the bandwagon in your mind and if they are how well are we doing or are we still light years away from having people transformed
1: so I think we need to separate the label from the, the process of transformation. And I think labels will wax and wane. I think that we're at a bit of a high point in the digital transformation label right now. That's fine. I don't have a particular objection to that. I'm not terribly keen on calling myself a digital transformation consultant, but hey-ho, I'll live with it. Um, as a process, it's got to be here to stay because we have got consumers Changing their habits massively, we have got lots of innovation happening about how businesses ply their wares, and the combination of the two means that we 're probably no longer in the era of doing a big restructuring of the business every fifteen years we 're doing a minor restructuring of the business every few months. And I suspect that's probably here to stay. We've got to try and find a new normal which takes advantage of the ability to scale, takes advantage of the ability to do things in similar ways for similar purposes, but we've also got to be very aware of how we innovate, how we keep pace with changes driven by consumers, changes driven by technology and changes driven by competitors. And if we accept that as the new normal, whether we call it digital transformation or not, I don't frankly care. But I think that continuous evolution and, if you like, transformation is something businesses just need to find ways of coping with.
0: To listen to you, Mike, I, I, I think of the combina- or the difference between business model and operating model. A lot of times people say especially looking at entrepreneurs, how they're disrupting the business models. Yet if you're in a large company, let's say Shell, BP, or Barclays, or whoever, there is a business model component to being being changed. But to hear you, especially when you're talking about this iterative uh, every three-month type of process, it's more of an operating model change that big businesses need to think about rather than the business model side. How do you react to that? So I like to think that the faster we
1: change, the, the better and more robust the connections have to be between the top of the organisation and the people who are actually making the change happen. Now, one of the difficulties with big hierarchical organisations is that that linkage is either broken or it's so stretched it takes a long time for information to flow up the organisation and flow down the organisation that's a problem and i think that we need to make sure that we have enough flexibility that the operating model can keep doing the good stuff but be responsive to change for the stuff that either isn't working or needs to work differently but that's no good if the senior management team either don't know about it or are pulling in a totally different direction so my little piece of Evangelism that I'm doing right now is trying to say we really need to get that connection working better. We need to join the top and the middle and the bottom of the organization much, much more closely together so that the people who are interacting with customers can feed information up the line and the people at the top of the organization are so much better informed that they can steer the ship in a more nuanced way, in a more responsive, in a more agile way if we want to do buzzword bingo um, and make sure that the communication from the strategic to the operational is much tighter much more cohesive and much more responsive
0: and this is where we're going to get into goal atlas your project but but just before we do that when let's say a lot of literature you read out there we say well it's top down or it's bottom up change and uh, so first of all are you, are you in one of those two camps? Uh, And then second of all, if whichever camp you choose, how do you make that happen in in concrete terms? Mm. So firstly,
1: I would rather there were three camps than two. So I think some of the most effective change can sometimes be middle out. So you have team leads who are in... Intimate day to day contact with the people on the phones, the people talking to the customers, the people making the product, and the team leads are often in a great position to abstract that little bit of distance away from the hurly burly and what is today's problem. We're not interested in today's problem, we want to know this year's problem. Mm -hmm. So, if I was to place myself somewhere, I would say I'm in the middle out rather than the bottom up or top down because the middle out, I think, is a really ignored part of the organization. They are a huge font of knowledge Mm. in the organization because they're connected to both ends. They have their connections up into the senior management and the boardroom, but they've also got connections down on the ground floor. And I think if I was to think about where do we want to put a huge amount of effort in re-educating our workforce, that middle band of team leaders is just ripe for improvement. Mm.
0: If you had um, a bunch of CEOs in the room and we're talking about, hey, listen, Mike, we need to, you know, we need to accelerate our digital transformation. We're not going fast enough. And, and you had a, uh, a little call called the magic wand. How, what would spell would you cast on them in order to help them to uh, en- enable or facilitate faster digital transformation?
1: So I think the problem with an awful lot of CEOs, clearly not all, but a lot of them, is that they are bound up in what they think is strategy which is great it's the big sweeping changes it's the setting the direction it's deciding what not to do and all of that stuff I think is great but unless they start really connecting to the engine of change which does not sit in the boardroom it sits on the factory floor or in the sales team or in the call centre unless they start thinking about how am I actually going to make this strategic vision come about then they're just producing hot air or reams of paper that nobody's going to uh, be terribly focused on. And I really like the notions um, of um, looking at strategy as action planning and not strategy as thinking and vision and mission. But what are we actually going to do? Richard Rumelt, good strategy, bad strategy, brilliant book, love its bits he is entirely focused on what are we actually going to do? How do we turn strategy into action? And how do we differentiate the action we are going to do from the action we are deliberately and meticulously going to set aside because we don't have time to do everything? And I think that sort of notion of strategy into action is firstly where I feel a lot of the strategy gurus are going, but it also gets us far more in touch with a kind of agile, responsive organisation. Because if you've got your head in the clouds and you're just thinking strategy and you're not thinking strategy into action, you're not actually going to go into the call centre and say, hold on a minute, that thing that you just said to that customer is running completely in the face of what I think is the direction that we're going in. You know, it doesn't become actionable.
0: Yeah, it's very much like when we look at culture... There you often well, let's say that there are words on the on the wall saying that our culture is this ABC yeah. and yet of course reality is culture is more about the habits the actions the vocabulary that's being used and how the, how people are oper- acting together yeah. and so when you want to enact change it needs to be on the de facto type of behaviors you're seeing as opposed to sort of some pie in the sky thing so it's really about bringing that action into the nuts, the nitty-gritty of the organization.
1: Yes, so for me, culture means a predisposition to action. And if we think of, you know, how did culture change the path of human history? Well, it was because we made better axes out of stone. So, you know, it wasn't some abstract notion of art and literature. It was actually that we did things in a different way. We started making stone axes in a better way so they cut better. That was culture in our origins. And I don't actually think it's any different now. Culture is a predisposition to action. So how do you measure culture change? Are people doing things differently?
0: Brilliant. So now, your project is called Goal Atlas. And so I've had a chance to look at it. Sarah, show me some. And it's it's about how to break down goals and bring them down through the organization, is it not?
1: It is. So it will... Try and take a very structured and a very logical approach to saying, here are some big goals. You could start at the bottom and say, here are some operational goals. But let's start at the top for the sake of argument. Here are some big goals. What we need to do is it would be quite nice if we knew why we were doing them. So we might want to link them up to some higher goals. But never mind that meantime. We now want to drill down. And we want to turn these goals into actions all the way through the organisation. Because the only way the high-level goals are going to come about is if we have got a whole bunch of people in the call centre on the shop floor pulling in the same direction. If they're all pulling in different directions, as so often happens, there will be progress made in one space and it will be counteracted by um, something happening that is disadvantageous in another place. So alignment is key. There is a logic to breaking goals down you can start asking the question, here is a goal, how am I going to do it? But the answer to those questions of how should in themselves add up to make that higher goal complete. So if I say I want to achieve goal X, and I'm going to do it by goals one, two, three, and 4, you should be able to ask yourself the question, if I do these four sub-goals, is X going to come about? Because if it isn't, you've got a goal missing.
0: So in in the in the realm of uh, rebuttals, some goals are, or some functions anyway, are by definition at odds with one another. Take um, finance; they obviously want to do the top line, but they tend to like to look at how they're cutting the bottom line and we're bringing in our, our you know our, our profitability. Marketing is all about creating value. Sales is just about creating the dollars, and and these don't necessarily Sometimes they're absolutely at odds with one another. Because they they just don't fit by by nature. So how do you break that down?
1: So if you have divergent goals, you have to start questioning what purpose they are jointly serving. Because if you are arguing that marketing and sales have got different goals, at a certain level in the organization, I think you can make that case pretty compellingly. But these have got to join up somewhere in the organization because somebody has got to pay the wages of the marketing team and the sales team.
0: Well, I mean, let's say inevitably the CEO has all of them. The CEO, it's the buck stops here. I, ha- I have the top and bottom line. I have to achieve all our objectives that the shareholders have asked me. So that person is inevitably the one that crystallizes all of them. But as it's broken down into specific goals and actions that each of them need to do, it somehow loses the plot. So I would just come back
1: to the fact that an organisation is generally there for a primary purpose. And business organisations are generally there to make money at some level or the other. Now surely, marketing and sales are both contributing to making money. Is it beyond the wit of man to work out how to get them to do so in a way that is synergistic? rather than competitive. Now, I know that there may be some advantages in setting Team A off against Team B. That's fine, and that will almost certainly serve certain purposes. But at a certain level in the organisation, they've got to come back together. Or you don't have one organisation, you've got two organisations trying to tear each other apart. So I just think that we've got to come back beyond the notion that there are somewhat divergent goals and not focus so much about the divergence. Start thinking about how do we build a strategy that maximises the convergence and minimises the divergence. And seeing goals mapped out on a piece of paper, there is nothing just quite so delightful as seeing a senior manager realising that two goals that she might have thought were totally aligned, realises they are pulling each other apart and that starts to make some interesting changes within an organisation
0: Surely, and then the other one of course is that at the bottom end of the hierarchy, seeing someone understand What previously seemed like a job that had no purpose, but why it's linked back into the higher picture is is also like the joy of a kid when they have a Christmas present.
1: Yeah, but it's not just that moment of joy, and I wouldn't underestimate that. That is very powerful. But the statistics that somewhere between a quarter and a half of all employees are the ones that are engaged with the work that they're doing. How shockingly appalling is that in 2017? You know, can we not, for goodness sake, find ways of getting people gainfully employed, adding value to the business, the economy, whatever, and at least give them a good time for most of the time they're working rather than having them unhappy? And my feeling with that is autonomy, mastery and purpose is the way to go. Are they autonomous? Do they have a clear understanding of what they're trying to do, what the boundaries are of what they're trying to do? do they have a method of doing it? Are they masters of that method? That's the how. And do they have purpose? Do they have a clear view of how they are contributing in their small way to the overall mission They're of the well. organization?
0: All right. So how do you break down that autonomy, mastery and, and purpose into goals? Do, is there some kind of matrix in, in Goal Atlas that helps that uh, filter through or is that something that's on the side?
1: So what we're doing is we're taking things that have been done in organisations a great deal and making it a bit more sophisticated and adding a certain amount of digital tech around it. So, for example, many organisations will present their goals as a tree. So there is one goal at the top. And it breaks down hierarchically. We don't think that's a particularly powerful or useful way to represent goals within an organization. Hence, we talk about goal maps. They can branch up as well as down. So it's not beyond us to think that I am actually serving two purposes. One is that I am making more money for the organization. And the other is that I'm making the IT function work well. You know, that's fine. I don't need one purpose in life. I just need to be clear about what my purposes are. So, firstly, I think goal mapping is an awful lot more powerful than a goal tree. We can also do this little bit of, if we map in the right way, it does become a logic diagram, and there is a degree of validation to the goal map. We can see where there are goals missing or where there are goals that appear to be orphans and not serving any purpose. All goals should serve some purpose within an organization. And then the digital tech that we can apply is we can start looking at, if I have a goal, is that the kind of goal (coughs) that is a key performance indicator for the organization? If I achieve my goal, am I really moving the organization on? And from a whole organizational point of view, we can sprinkle targets over these goals... We can assign them to people. We can plug in automated tools that will track progress towards goals if we want through APIs. We can attach learning resources to goals. So the digital magic that goes on around it is not terribly magical in terms of 21st century technology, but it does pull all the information right in front of the person that is trying to sit at their desk and achieve their goal. They don't have to go off and do the training course. They don't have to go and ask permission because we can take standards, policies, learning resources and data to them and relate that to their goal that they're trying to achieve.
0: All right, so Goal Atlas's purpose is digital tech that helps, if I can interpret, Mike, is to help have all the goals throughout the organization be aligned uh, with the purpose of the strategy of the company is that correct right so then what does it take for a goal atlas to succeed when you install it in a company
1: so i think that one of the key issues is the thing that you're trying to achieve with goal atlas so This is not necessarily the panacea for organising an entire organisation. Where we think it is of particular value is when either a bit of the organisation or potentially the entire organisation is going through quite a process of rapid change. Because under these circumstances, methods and purpose are particularly important. You know, if I've been doing my same job for the past five years, I pretty much know how to do it. And I also have a reasonable inkling of why I'm doing it. You suddenly tell me I've got to do a completely different job. It's very disorienting. It's, uh, you're trying to kill or break my habits. you right. what you're trying break to break your habits. Yeah. And I want to break your habits without breaking you. Mm. So therefore, to locate your new role within some sort of organizational framework so I can see that me taking the time and the energy to learn all these new things that you're requiring of me, I can see that that is purposeful. I've got some help to say, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but you've surrounded me with some really nice comforting resources that I can at least see that it looks possible. Mm. And also, I've got perhaps some communication tools that I can say, help. Can anybody advise me? Can anyone? You know, here's my goal. I've done a bit of it. I'm struggling. Can anyone help? And you can start building a community. You can see people that have got similar goals to you and perhaps start having some interesting conversations, possibly even face-to-face. It doesn't have to be through the digital tech.
0: In in terms of practical matters, Mike, this is a plug-and-play into systems or not? In other words, if if I'm looking, I'm the IT guy, and I have already, let's say, Microsoft Office or whatever, Google Suite involved... How does it interface, interact? I mean, give me a little bit of the spectrum. Because, I mean, let's say you know, I, some companies use SAP not just for invoicing, but for my, my um, salary pay and where there's obviously a link with bonuses that are you know, tied yeah. in. So where, how does that fit in?
1: So we're very clear that we do not want to build the software tool that runs the entire organization. <coughs> we want to be very, very good at one very specific job and that is managing change within an organization. And we don't feel that there are the tools out there to do that terribly effectively. To try and help, can we get this set up quickly? Well, not instantly. It's not a plug-and-play in that sense. But what we have done is we have taken quite a lot of best practice that we've seen elsewhere in the organization, and we've kind of commoditized it. Even that won't quite be plug-and-play, Because we've got some great tools, for example, that represent good practice in content strategy. Now, I can plug that into your organization and it won't quite fit. So we'll have to adapt it and we'll have to customize it because it's not quite that kind of content or it's not communicated in that way or it's not to that type of audience. But we have got some best practice tools that means that we can build a map of goals relatively quickly for many types of organizations but this is not a switch it on and it runs type product and i would hope that everybody who is serious about doing digital transformation would realize that if i said it was i wouldn't really be telling the truth
0: brilliant mike how can someone uh, find out more about uh, goal atlas and also or get in touch with you sure
1: well goalatlas.com all the details are on there it's very much a quick introduction so have a quick look and get in touch with sarah who's our main point of contact for clients and let's have a chat
0: and how do we get in touch with sarah
1: the email address on the goalatlas.com but sarah at goalatlas.com
0: brilliant i'll take care of all that great thanks for having you coming on the show mike and i look forward to following your adventures in the Gold atlas thank you thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com that's mindset with a Y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe If you like the show please do rate it on iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sax's Painted Fingers
2: Oh fill me With all your colors Any different way of the grave and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self-secure Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called